Hey, hey, Cubs fans, and welcome to a brand new edition of Cubs on Tap. It has been a minute since you've heard from us. Uh, you probably know my voice by now. It's been broadcast on these airwaves on this podcast plenty of times. I'm Ron Luce, and I'm joined tonight by a new voice. We are so very excited to have him. We would like to welcome Joe. Joe, how you doing, man? Hey, How's how you guys doing? Um, guys, meaning you, I'm Joe Kilgallen, a new contributor here on uh, Cubs on Tap. I'm pumped, man. Let's talk some Cubs. Let's do it. And and Joe, you know, we just kind of as a rite of passage, something we like to do here with our, our new voices here at Cubs on Tap. Um, just tell us a little bit about you, you know, maybe a little bit about your Cubs fandom, maybe where that started. That's always kind of a fun story for people to hear. Um, and, you know, even if you want to throw in, you know, a favorite memory um, or something that maybe sticks out in your in your Cubs fandom and, uh then we'll, like you said, we'll, we'll talk some Cubs and we'll get right into this thing. Well, Ron, I am from the northwest side of the city of Chicago, born and raised uh, Portage Park neighborhood, to be exact. Okay. Uh, public school kid, Catholic high school kid. I've been a Cubs fan. So, you know, it was indoctrinated into me. It was uh, drilled into my head. My dad actually had me believing when I was really young, like four or five years old, that I was named after his brother, Joe who um, I never met. I said, I don't have an Uncle Joe. He goes, well, after the Cubs blew it in 1969, my brother Joe locked himself in a mental institution and said he wouldn't come out until the Cubs won the World Series. So as a four or five-year-old, I, I got really, like I had a vesting interest. I'm like, I want to yeah. meet this uncle I was named after, so I really hope the Cubs do it this year. And they did not. And then you, after, I was, it was embarrassing. I actually found, like when I was like nine, my dad finally was like, you know that was a joke, right? There's, <laughs> That's not, this is too long for you to still believe in Santa Claus, buddy. So, yeah, I mean, um, my favorite memory or first memory, more accurately, would be going to a Cubs game on my fifth birthday. And I think we had upper deck tickets. I'm pretty sure because I remember we didn't watch the game in the upper deck, though. But my dad was taking me up the ramp and I looked out and that's when I discovered I was afraid of heights at the age of five. Because I looked out like the window, I guess, and I could mm -hmm. see that we were now taller than the McDonald's arch. And that terrified me. I remember being like, we're not supposed to be this high. Because, you know, when you're five, the McDonald's arch is the tallest thing in your world. Oh, yeah. Especially because so you're, you're used to going there and you're getting your Happy Meals. And, like, that is that is it. Like, that's the tallest building I've ever seen right there is <laughs> yeah. the McDonald's arch. And then, yeah. No, that's that's totally understandable, though. Being afraid and I started of freaking out, pulling on his arm, and I'm, I think the Cubs did win. I know it was against the Phillies. Okay. Yeah, so I remember that much. But uh, yeah, another a little bit more about me. I'm a stand-up comedian in Chicago. I lived in L.A. for a few years where I worked on a couple TV shows on the production side. Um, ridiculousness on MTV. I was a segment producer on it for a little bit, and then I was a production assistant on Tosh.0. And I mostly just did stamp comedy at the clubs, like the Laugh Factory and the Improv. Mm -hmm. I've got a few albums out on Spotify and Apple you guys can check out. Just type in Joe Kilgallen. You'll see my discography. I can never pronounce that word on the first try. <laughs> and my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Joe Kilgallen. It's Kilgallen, K-I-L Gallen. Um, I've got like, damn, like almost three hours of content on there, stand-up comedy-wise. So... A lot of stuff out there if you guys are into comedy. And then, um, you know, my love of the Cubs, I've kind of I've kind of been able to, the last few years been really blessed to combine comedy with the Cubs. In 2018, I was in a Cubs commercial, that commercial uh, um, with Ike Barinholtz, where they kept saying, everybody's in, you're in, he's in, and that guy's mm -hmm. in. I'm the guy in the bathroom where he's like, you know what I'm talking about, buddy? And I'm like, dude, we're in a bathroom. So I'm, <laughs> I'm the only other person with a line. I got one line in the commercial. That's and awesome. it's at the trough, the beautiful troughs at Wrigley Field, which, by the way, underrated listeners. I've been to uh, a ton of ballparks. Like I lived in California for three years and went to every California ballpark. None of them have troughs. And the problem is you miss too much game time because there's lines. Where at Wrigley, you got your dick halfway out before you get to the trough <laughs> and then you, you pee real quick and then, you know, wash your hands. I think you should. And before you know it, you're back. You only missed a, maybe in a, ba a batter or two. That's just a better system. I want to. I want everyone to know that the troughs never take the troughs for granted. Because when you're on a road game and you're missing a two innings, like I've had to in other stadiums, you you miss the big sink we all get to share. Yeah, no, that is 100 percent true. I I've definitely noticed that. I I've been to a handful of ballparks myself, and literally it's the exact same way. Like you're sitting there, and you're like, why the hell is this line so long? 
But yeah, Wrigley, it's like, hey, the beauty of a trough is as long as you're comfortable being, you know, damn near shoulder to shoulder with people, you're in and out real quick. It's real easy. You just get in and get out. So, um, no, that's that's fantastic. Well, like I said, sir, welcome. We are so excited to have you on. Um, I, I'm, I'm already so excited to watch where this episode goes because <laughs> I'm just ready for the comedy to start pouring out. Um, so I'm very excited. But welcome to you. And uh, like like I said, man, let's, let's talk some Cubs baseball. So, um, obviously, there's been quite a bit of news, actually, uh, since the last time uh, the Cubs on Tap crew has recorded. Um, so just kind of quickly listing them off. Cubs declined Lester's option. I think everybody kind of expected that to happen. He's just unfortunately not a $25 million a year pitcher anymore. Uh, Father Time is is a bitch in that essence. Um, but he did a cool thing. A lot of people, uh, it's been you know, widely reported all over the city. Um, if you went to either, ooh, it's the, the four bars right there on Division. So it's Lodge Tavern, Hopsmith, Shenanigans, and... Uh, Butch McGuire's. Thank you. Yes, that was the one. Um, if you went to one of those four over the ho- uh, Halloween weekend, which just uh, recently passed, um, and you told them to put your first Miller Lite on John's tab, John Lester paid for it and then tipped 34% um, naturally because that's just John Lester being John Lester. So That's a cool uh, move, right? What a it's boss so move. awesome. It's so awesome. Well, and the best part about it is he was just like, yeah, I'm doing this for the fans. Like This is cool. And you know the bars appreciate it because they've been probably hurting through you know, what is 2020 now because of you know shutdowns and then reopens and yeah. only outside. And like so for them, it's, you know, I'm sure they were, were super grateful for it as well. And, uh, yeah, no, it was awesome. Almost almost $50,000 worth of beer. Um, you know, what almost- a cool guy. I really, you know what, I was thinking about it. I was diving into the numbers because I feel like as a Cubs fan, I owe it to John Lester to really dive into the numbers. Uh, we all know he's a great dude, as we j- just talked about. Pitching-wise, yes, he's definitely not a $25 million guy anymore. He got a great buyout. That contract overall was amazing. When you sign a pitcher... For six years like that, you know the last year or two aren't. You're not paying for the last year or two. You're paying for the first four, and we definitely got our money's worth. I was looking at it, though. If you minus his two his two uh, starts against the White Sox, and the White Sox famously killed left-handers this year. They didn't lose a single game to a left-handed starting pitcher. Right. If you minus those two starts from John Lester's 2020, which was, again, a short season, only 12 starts, that's an ERA in the late threes. I think it was like a three eight six ERA, mm-hmm. which all of a sudden looks pretty respectable. If they could bring him back as the number five starter, like have you know him and Mills, like I really think Elk Mills. Look, I like the no hitter. Um, he he pitched a lot better when they didn't have him and Hendricks back to back, which was just kind of a dumb, you know, thing they didn't really realize in the first I almost month of the year it took him to realize where it's like, hey, these guys are too similar. Mm-hmm. But if you have him as your five starter, Lester, four or five starter. And you get him for a couple mil, like I wouldn't want to go more than three mil. I, I would do it. I'd bring him back. I think he eats innings. I think he's a good presence in the clubhouse still, especially when you're going to have a guy like Edbert Elzalai. I always mess up his pronunciation. I got to work on that all off. I know Elzalai. <laughs> yeah, I got to work on that. It's the one name where every time I'm about to pronounce it, I like go, "Ooh, I'm going to screw this up." Uh, he's going to be in the rotation, and I and I love his stuff, especially that slider he added. His last couple starts was just off the charts, spin rate wise. Uh, and he seemed to look up to Lester too, you know. So I really think if you again, if you could get him at three million or so, and he's your back end number five starter, you, there's a lot worse number five starters in baseball than John Lester, where Mills is kind of your six, and then we go out and grab another innings eater. I think we'll be all right. Yeah, absolutely, and I I totally agree. I mean, I would even go so far as to say, you know, you said about three million bucks. I'd even be okay with him getting like five or six million bucks. I mean, I think especially if it's a one year contract. You know, it's really safe to assume that maybe, like you said, outside of that probably one eating inning eater that they're probably going to have to go get to be like that 3-4 guy, they're probably not going to spend a ton of money in free agency, nor are a lot of teams. Like, this is going to be a very weird year offseason-wise, and I'm sure we're going to dive even deeper into that here as this episode moves on. But, you know, like you said, I mean, he there's definitely worse options as fifth starters in, in the major leagues. You know, there's so many teams that... I think just recycle fifth guys. They're just like, ah, this guy looks good in AAA for the last two weeks. We'll call him up and we'll start him for a game. You know, hell, you can even look at teams like the Rays. They do a bullpen day every, you know, every fifth day. So it's like, yeah, you know, are, are you really, you're really missing out on much if John Lester's your five, and you know he's making four, five, six million dollars a year. I think that's a great contract. I think he would love that because he's still, like you said, he's still in Chicago. You know, guys like Albert Alzali and and even Braylon Marquez, who I think is gonna probably be a big part of the team in 2021 maybe in a bullpen role 
Um, but who knows? You know, maybe if they don't land that front of the rotation starter or if a guy gets hurt, you know, hypothetically, let's say an Albert Alzali or whoever that guy they brought in. Um, I'm advocating personally for Marcus Stroman, but could be anybody. I would love Stroman. Uh, yeah, I'd love Stroman's him. The best. Um, but you bring one of those guys in and they go down for a period of time. You know, there's a very good chance that a Braylon Marquez comes in and makes a couple starts. So, you know, having that veteran in that rotation, aside from just a Hugh Darvish and a Kyle Hendricks, who are obviously consummate professionals, you know, that just further enhances the education and experience those young guys are getting. And let's be frank. I mean, this, this front office has finally started to rebuild that kind of pitching crop in, in the minors. There, there's probably going to be probably three or four of these guys in the next probably three to four years that are going to be starters in this organization. So, you know, it, it probably doesn't hurt, like you said, having a guy like John Lester still in camp. And I would be cool even to go a step further and then, you know, tell John, hey, we'll give you a one-year contract. If you really want to stick around, we'll put you on the coaching staff. You know, you and Rossi can be boys and you can work with the pitchers in, you know, spring training. Or even if he just wants to come back as like a guest coach. I know they did that with John Lackey uh, at one point where he kind of came back for like two or three days and kind of, you know, worked with the pitchers a little bit. Bring John in to kind of do that. Let him just kind of have this like, wild card role in the organization then after he's done playing you know and, and like you said then you keep that i mean hell he's he's going to be a hall of famer you know you keep that hall of fame presence uh in in your you know in your clubhouse then and really in your organization as a whole um but yeah so obviously you know a lot of john lester news i mean john lester news has dominated the airwaves over the last two weeks um but a couple guys free agents that are worth noting uh tyler chatwood officially hits the market jose quintana as well as well as Jason Kipnis. That was kind of expected. Um, I, I'm sure there's a chance that all three of those guys could return, potentially. Maybe not all three, but there's there's individual cases for each that, like, hey, if this works this way, maybe we see Chatwood back at a reduced price, or, you know, hey, maybe we... I don't think Quintana comes back. I think he's going to go chase maybe one more, like, good-sized deal, because he's still probably young enough to do so. Um, and then who knows what the hell Jason Kipnis is going to do. I think the Cubs are very sold on Nico or something that I'm sure we'll be bringing up later. Um, and I'll just mention his name, but Tommy LaStella's name has been thrown around quite a bit about returning to the Cubs to be the everyday second baseman. So I think the, the Jason Kipnis days are done. Um, yeah, I personally. feel sad for Kipnis because he never got to play in front of Wrigley fans. You know, he played True. at Wrigley, but the hometown crowd was never there. And, you know, obviously everyone knows he grew up in Northbrook. That got beaten into our heads as fans since 2016. So I feel bad for Kipnis there. He had a, he just, I mean, he was a solid contract. What he, we paid him $1 million. He had some big hits for us. Seemed like a guy that gelled with the clubhouse real nicely. I want to rule him out completely. We'll see how the offseason goes. I prefer Listella, as you mentioned, and I'd like to get into some Listella because I, I really, he was someone I started to target, you know, late August where I'm like, this is a guy that's in our price range that won't be too expensive that we know is tight with Rizzo and Ross. They're like buddies. So, I think that's a, a guy you want to go for. But Kipnis, what was weird about him, while I was diving into all the numbers, his strikeout rate was like 30%, which is awful. But his entire career before joining the Cubs, he was a high-contact guy. Mm -hmm. We kept talking about how we need more high-contact bats. That was Kipnis before joining us. So I don't know what went, what went wrong in Chicago. Maybe there was like, I, I think hitting is contagious in a lot of ways and, and Sadly, in a 60-game season, if you get off to a rough start offensively, it gets in your head. And, you know, I've mentioned this on other podcasts I've been on, but I really think it's funny to me that this isn't talked about enough. And I know why players don't bring it up. But as fans, we have to understand baseball is so mental. Mm -hmm. When you go one for 25 in a regular year, you're saying to your buddies, let's go hit the casino. Mm -hmm. Let's go get some steaks at Gibson's. Yep. Let's go smoke some cigars on a nice rooftop patio. Let's go pull a Mark Grace, find a slump buster. Let's go do these things. <laughs> now, you're kind of young. Do you remember what the Mark Grace slump buster is? I, I believe so. I think I Okay, do. without offending any female listeners, this is something that it's out there. Mark Grace had said back in the day when he was going through a slump, he would go to a bar, find the ugliest girl, and make love to her. See, I cleaned it up. And that would be a way to get out of a slump. Anyhow, <laughs> that's what the players would do. But during yeah. COVID, none of these guys could go out in, in the town. You know, they can't go to, you know, Paris Club or, or you know, any of these fancy bars in River North or Streeterville or Lincoln Park to blow off steam, which in baseball you need to do because it's such a mental game. I'm, I'm not saying they should be showing up to the ballpark hungover, 
But like, you know, Wednesday when you got Thursday off, it's like, all right, let's go out. Let's get crazy. Let's get Portillo's at 2 a.m. I actually closes at midnight. But, you know, let's get Mexican. Yeah. Let's let's have ourselves a real night of it. Forget about the slump and get out of it. Where I feel like a lot of the Cubs offense couldn't do that. And once they got stuck, they got stuck. And I know we didn't want to like get into the whole X's and O's of the Cubs offense. Because I definitely do think they need to completely refigure, revamp, or uh, get a little... What's the word I'm looking for? Lineup diversification as mm-hmm. far as styles of hitters. Yeah. But I definitely think that kind of Kipnis, I, I only, this is only fresh in my brain because I was looking at Kipnis's numbers the other day because I was curious what his strikeout rate was because I remember him being a high contact guy in Cleveland. Yeah. No, absolutely. And you're, and you're 100% right. I mean, and even, you know, like you said, I mean, if you ask me, like baseball is 100% the most mental sport, um, yep. at least of like the big sports, right? Like we won't dive into the other like smaller sports that are there are in the world. But if you're talking like in the United States of America, what are like the big four, right? You got hockey, you got basketball, you got baseball, you got football. Like that is just strategically that's how it's been. And by far out of all those, baseball is by far the biggest mentally. And, you know, people might say, well, but it's not the most strategy. Well, that's not what we're saying. That's totally different, right? Like football, you literally every play is a different strategy, right? You know, even in basketball to an extent and hockey to an extent, it's the same way. But baseball, like you said, is just so mental because you you almost have to attack baseball if you're trying to carpent. See, I'm having trouble doing words tonight too. Compartmentalize. <laughs> The, how the game is played. You know, each at bat is like a whole nother play. Like if you treat it like another play in football, right? Like you have to be a hundred percent focused. You know what you need to do in that moment. And then you got to step back and do it all over again. And then that wears on you when you play 162 games. It's not like they're playing 16, like in football or, you know, 82, even in basketball and, and, and hockey, you're playing 162 games plus another, you know, potentially what 25, 30 games then in the postseason sometimes. So it's like that'll that'll wear on you, and I agree. Like you need that. I mean, hell, even when I was I played in college, and we only played like a 10, 11 game schedule. But you better believe on Saturday nights after we were done playing, the whole team went out on the town. Like that was what we did. You know what I mean? Like we'd go out, we'd go to the bars. It. Hell yeah, we'd we'd go have a good time. And it's the exact same way in baseball, like you said. You know, if you're going through it and you're just like, what is going on? I can't. I'm not seeing the ball well. Whatever it is, sometimes like you said, you just need to get it out of your system. Go blow off some steam, come back, regroup, do it all over again. But like you said, obviously in a, a crazy year where everything's closed and there's restrictions and obviously you don't, you know, the Cubs were a great organization in terms of no COVID cases. You know, they, they really they, were, they did a great job and they bought in. And I think that was a good sign for the team. But like you said, though, at the same time, it beats down on you mentally when, you know, when your entire core, look at that entire core. I'm sure that entire core struggled because of what you said. Yeah, I mean, the entire core went into the season knowing there was trade rumors in the offseason. I'm sure they all wanted to get off to hot starts. And in a regular 162-game season, you get off to a bad start, that happens. I mean, Rizzo's pretty notorious for having bad Aprils or bad first months of the season. And you have a big June, and then all of a sudden you take off, and by the end of the year, the back of your baseball card looks familiar. What makes baseball so difficult, as we were just talking about, and I want to emphasize this point, it's the only sport where your athleticism can't take over. Mm-hmm. Meaning like our baseball players, athletes, 100%. Like Javi Baez is an athlete. Rizzo's an athlete. Absolutely. These guys are athletes, but your athleticism can't take over the way your athleticism can take over in basketball, football, or hockey. Yeah. If you're a running back in football and you're not hitting the hole, all right, well, we got to work on your explosiveness. Let's, let's start doing some workouts to help your first step. In baseball, all right, you're getting fooled with the outside breaking ball. Okay, Let's learn not to, I mean, you could work on it, but it's completely different because it's just recognizing once you get yourself into, you saw with a lot of, like with Bryant and Javi, they would be late on the fastball, out in front on the curveball. So that means they're cheating one way or another. Or you'd be out in front on the uh, fastball, pulling it foul maybe, and then just completely missing the breaking ball. Like it's just, they, they could never find that groove. And I say this because I feel like it's, kind of leaning towards one of our next topics if i could jump ahead slightly just for the point of the segue yeah um of who who of the core is going to be gone fans have to understand a couple people are going to be gone but don't be surprised if they end up being awesome with other organizations like chris bryant could very easily i could see him on another team next year would break my heart you know you're you're seeing the video i got a big bryant um cardboard cutout behind me 
I'm, you know, I'm a big KB guy. Yeah. But it would make sense for him for the Cubs to try to move his contract this year. But I wouldn't be surprised if he has a 35 home run season in a five war, five six war somewhere. That's going to happen with some of these guys. That that happen, and it's almost a sign of the Cubs organization being pretty good on the hitter side of things. Obviously, you mentioned uh, the pitching development is coming around, which is good to see. They really did put a focus more on hitting because, like Jorge Soler went off last year, hit 48 bombs or 49. I remember seeing Cubs fans on Twitter being like. Oh my God, we should have held on to him. It's like, what, what would we have done with him? He was injured his first two years with KC. Yeah, we, he was going to be a fifth outfielder. We got a, a dominant all star closer for one year. That was a good trade. Tommy Listella is a guy who I want back. He There was no at bats for him with the Cubs. Yeah. Should we have kept him as a pinch hitter? I mean, I don't know. I think we needed a guy who could play shortstop too. Descalso clearly sucked, so he wasn't the guy. I don't think the mistake was letting Listella go. I think the mistake was not replacing Listella. Because in 2018, Javi was MVP runner-up, but the month of September, he tired out because we didn't really have a backup shortstop. That whole, um, you know, the Addison Russell thing was going down, and that's why they were like, all right, we like Listella, but going into 2019, they still had Zobris. They couldn't predict the divorce. They couldn't predict all that off-field stuff happening. Right. So I think in their brains, they're like, we have Zobris, we have Javi. They retain Russell hoping for, like, a turnaround, which was a mistake. And then they're like, all right, well, we got Listella who's a great bench piece and a great pinch hitter, but maybe we need someone who could back up a couple more positions where Tommy is a below average defensive second baseman, which you could get away with at second base of any position. I think left field and second base are the two positions where if you have slightly below average, you could get by. Um, but well, speaking of defense, Javi Baez, Rizzo, congratulations to them. Gold glove winners. Absolutely. Good yeah. to see you both felt well earned. Um, I just think that, you could see the you could see like Listella again flourished with Anaheim and Oakland, both all star yeah. caliber. We that's a that's a testament to how good and deep the Cubs were, where our bench players are going to other places. Yeah, I know a lot of Cubs fans who don't believe in David Bodie, but how do you know David Bodie can't take over at third base and hit twenty five home runs and bat two seventy? You don't know. You need the consistent at bats for some players, and when you have a deep team like the Cubs have had the last five six years. You're not going to see. So I think the Cubs are going to see some bigger names leave, but I think they could replace them with some solid players that could give the offense a different overall look instead of having so many guys who strike out around 25% of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I completely agree with you. And I, that was a beautiful breakdown of just all of that. Sorry, I, went, I got a little long-winded. No, 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 no. That, that was awesome because like you said, right? I mean – you look at the, the really complete teams in baseball. Obviously, two of them just played each other in the World Series, right? This is the you know this was the epitome of it, right? The two one seeds on both sides meeting in the World Series. Two very different franchises. No, actually, that's bullshit. Not really, because the guy that built the Dodgers to be where they are now also started the model that is being used in Tampa. Because Andrew Friedman is the common piece between the two organizations. But but Can I interject the, slightly real quick. Absolutely. I just want to say one thing about Andrew Friedman. Andrew Friedman is amazing at his job, but I, I got into a thing. Remember, we, you guys, I think, addressed it on the last podcast that uh, Matthew Trueblood troll uh, guy on Twitter. Um, he was going, you know, Theo, I don't want this. Theo, isn't, yeah. yeah, he was saying something about Theo where he had said this before the Dodgers won the World Series, too. He was like, I'd rather be the Dodgers, which is like stupid because at that time they had it won a World Series. Andrew Friedman, I have a lot of respect for and he is awesome at what he does. I still think, though, if I'm starting an organization from scratch, I, I'm still taking Theo because Friedman inherited Cody Bellinger, inherited Corey Seager, inherited Kershaw, inherited like uh, Urias. Inher I mean, Bell not Bellinger. Uh, Bueller was his draft pick. Will Smith was his draft pick. But the majority of that 25-man roster was from Turner, was from the other organization, you know, was right. from the previous administration. That's not to say he hasn't done great work holding on to the right guys, supplementing the right free agent signing. I remember one person commented saying, uh, well, he was smart enough to trade for Mookie Betts. Yeah, he was. Do you know who drafted Mookie Betts, though, listeners? Theo Epstein in the sure, fifth yeah. round in his last draft with Boston. So it's not like, I don't know. I just, I feel like Friedman is getting a lot of credit, which is deserved, but a little bit more than he should. And even in Tampa, when the Tampa Bay went to the World Series in 09, most of that team was drafted before Friedman took it over. Yeah. Friedman's great. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, I, I'll take Theo's three rings over Friedman's if people are going to get into the who's the best executive in baseball right now. 
I think Theo did have a couple bad years. We have to be honest as Cubs fans. Some of that might have been him being held back a little bit mm-hmm. unfairly to himself. But overall, you give me Theo Epson any day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point too, right? I think the the thing that a lot of people don't realize, and so a thing that a lot of people don't know about me, if I had to p- tell you my second favorite team in baseball, it is the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, no, I the Rays are a great organization. Oh, yeah. they are. And, and But so I have family in Tampa. Like, I'll tell you my earliest Tampa Bay Rays memory. They were still the Devil Rays, and Rocco Baldelli was hitting third in the lineup. Let me that that takes you to my first Rays game. I'm talking way back, like oh two oh three in the in the old days, um, before they did you know the obviously he was great in MVP baseball oh five. He sure you was. Played that game. Yes, I did. Him and and uh, even him and uh, Carl Crawford was my guy. Um, he was I am, so good. Uh, that was a guy that till the Triples end of time. Day. Yes, that was the guy to the end of time I wanted to see in the Cubs uniform. Like I was. I, I I told people, like, if Carl Crawford came to the Cubs and was in a Cubs uniform, even at the end of his career, I would have been the first person in line at Sports World across the street from Wrigley getting his jersey because that was just my guy. Like, all-time favorite baseball players, number one is Ken Griffey Jr., 1A is Carl Crawford. There's just something about CC that that's my guy. It's the only Rays jersey that I actually own that is a player that isn't just, like, blank or, like, customized. It, he's the only one, and he is just – he was the man. But, you know, but – Going back to what you said about the Rays, you know, and with Freeman, you actually kind of said it. We're exactly where I'm going with this. That Rays organization built that model. Like that was just Freeman was a product of that model. The current GM, admittedly, I don't know his name off the top of my head right now, but he's a you know product of that model, and that's why you see that model work for them. They they do it. They do it. The Pirates do it. The Royals do it. The difference is the Rays just do it better because they, yeah, they just do. continually the do it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And in the Billy Bean, exactly. Essentially moneyball, right? These smaller, you know, less smaller payroll organizations that have to do this, right? You have to rely on drafting talent. Unfortunately, then you have to flip that talent usually for more talent, and then you bring that cheap talent back and then it's just a vicious cycle that'll be going till the end of time. But, you know, you you look at those two teams, right? They're both very balanced lineups, right? I mean, you look at like that Tampa lineup this year. You had guys like uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, right? Who's more of a if he's going to hit, it's going to be more contact and plays great defense. You then you have guys on the other side of that, like Emmanuel Margot, who's more of a contact hitter, like you said, like a Jason Kipnis was in Cleveland. And then you have guys like Austin Meadows, Hunter Renfro, uh, even to an extent, you know Brandon Lau, who were like your power bats then. And then you have the guys that fill in. Willie Domus is a good, you know, contact hitter. Um, you know, G, uh, G-Man Choi is is kind of a, a hybrid player in a little bit of ways. Like, he's got pop, but he's he's not going to hit for a ton of pop. You know, they're a well-balanced yeah, lineup. Exactly. They're a well-balanced lineup. And the Dodgers are the same way. Even though it's a superstar lineup, like, Chris Taylor's a great player. But he's more of a contact guy. But he's awesome at it. And he plays a great, you know, he, he's a utility guy. He plays second, short. He plays outfield. And he's just an athletic freak. But he, power doesn't need to be his forte because you have guys like, Justin Turner, Corey Seager, Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger in that lineup. So I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Like the Cubs do need to change that lineup around because right now, like you said, 95% of that lineup is power guys. They're going to swing and miss. Yeah. They're, they're, they're trying to drive in runs and, you know, even just furthering the points that you made, right. About guys wanting to get off to a hot start. They probably were trying so hard to get off to a hot start because of the shortened season that it might've actually kind of backfired on them a little bit. And it made them, you know, regress, so to speak, and have these tough seasons because, I mean, you know, like you said, Rizzo, notorious for having a slow start, but then like you said, he has a hot June and then he rides that all the way down into September. He's a 30-100 guy almost every single year, bats, you know, somewhere in the 260 to 280 range, and we keep it moving. You know, Javi Baez is kind of the same way. Like, you know, he's going to swing and miss, but he usually at least in a full season at least give you like 240. And he'll probably hit 25 bombs and drive in somewhere between 75 and 100 runs. Like, you know, yeah, he'd you, been higher even. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, you know, those are the, the guys you know what you're getting with them. But when they almost try too hard in a season, you're going to get a lot of swings and misses. You're going to get those whiffs and things like that. Obviously, speaking of Rizzo, you, you mentioned the gold gloves for him and Baez. Incredibly well earned. Uh, Rizzo is fourth. Baez his first. Um, Baez his second nomination. His first time he was actually nominated at second base because you mentioned that 2018 season. He actually played most of the time at second until the Russell stuff came about and then they shifted him over to short and he's obviously never left there since. Um, So big for them. Two of seven for the Cubs in terms of winners for gold gloves. They had seven finalists. Uh, Mills, Hendricks were two of them. Hayward, Horner, 
and then Willie as well. Uh, obviously, none of them won at their positions. And then Cubs did pick up Anthony Rizzo's option uh, for $16.5 million. So he is for sure a Cub uh, in 2021. Obviously, you know, as we said in the talking points here, you know, who of the core could be gone because uh, in a year that money's going to be a thing, you know, like you said, unfortunately, a guy like a Chris Bryant, who I'd love to still see be a Cub, if he's asking for too much, and they don't want to extend him. Now's the time where you can trade him with a full year that he's going to have to play baseball for another club. That's going to be your optimal return time for him. So that kind of, you know, sums up the news. We've kind of mixed in some of our touching points, but you know, let's, let's just continue diving into these touching points because this conversation is going beautifully and I don't even care if we're at the 30 minute mark. We'll just keep writing this thing out and see what happens. But you know, you, you we mentioned the core, right? And, and, and it's such an interesting case because these guys, you know, Arguably, Javi wasn't really a part of the core when they won it in 16. He was kind of on his way there, but he wasn't quite there yet. You know, it was really. He bet in ninth in game seven, everyone. Just uh, yeah. just to remind everyone, Javier Baez was the number nine hitter on the game seven team. And the I have a, a signed um, scorecard from uh, Pat Hughes on my wall I was looking at earlier. Awesome. Zobris being the high contact bat and the number five hitter was huge. I was yes. reading a thing, you know, if you, if you guys are Sabermetrics fans out there, a lot of sabermetricians believe the number five hitter should be your highest contact bat. The Cubs had that. Fowler was a, a more of a higher contact bat. And even if even if it's not a guy that doesn't strike out a lot, because I think Fowler was still probably around the 20% mark, which is a little, little below league average, I believe. It's a style of hitter. You need to diversify the different styles of hitter. You need guys who are more fastball hitters. The Cubs have a lot of guys who are breaking ball hitters um, or like at least feed on mistakes. Uh, as you were saying, like Javi wasn't really part of the core. I think that's what you're going towards. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, but now he's part of the core. Bryant, uh, Schwarber, those three all have one year left. Rizzo has one year left too. Um, and then Wilson has two years left. Some people float the idea of trading him. If you want to just focus on which two players I think will be gone, you want me to go with that route? Let's do it. All right. And it pains me. It absolutely pains me. Because, look, as, as sports fans, obviously winning is all we want. And as Cubs fans, winning is all we want. But this 2016 team is special. Every now and then there's a part of me where it's like, keep them forever. Let them r- ride into the sunset. I don't care if, you know, we're the laughing stock of baseball when they're all 40. I just, I'm, you know, that invested in some of these guys. Anyway, I think Bryant makes the most sense. Cubs fans, they're cutting payroll this year. That's... A whole, we could have a whole nother hour-long podcast debating about why that's a good or bad thing or, and, and the reasons why that's happening and all that stuff. But that's just the reality of it. So I think they're going to try to do a thing where they're going to they're, they're going to be competitive. They know their division's winnable. I think they, could, they see this as an opportunity to do a quick little one-year, one-to-two-year stopgap with a couple guys they could bring in while letting go a couple contracts whether they trade or non-tender, which non-tender is a possibility with Schwarber. Brian, I believe they'll tender to trade, most likely. It'd be really weird if they non-tendered him. I, I guess if they non-tendered Bryant, they're thinking, hey, we saved $20 million and we could spin it, because everything's PR these days. Yeah. We could spin it like, hey, you know, he gets that year of control he wanted back now. Go out and be a free agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, We robbed you of those that extra year back in the day. Now it's, I guess they could spin it that way. I don't know. I just think it makes sense for Brian because of how much money he's due. Um, if he has another injury plagued year, you're getting nothing for him at the break. I think they also have to make these moves because again, like I said, they want to be competitive in 2020 because they see it like, Hey, after 2020, I'm sorry, after 2021, they want to be competitive for 2021 because the 2022 Cubs have like three guys guaranteed contracts or yeah. four. David Bodie, Hugh Darvish, Kyle Hendricks, and Jason Hayward. They'll and if if life is, I pray to God, if life's back to 100% normal, where 40,000 people are at Wrigley every day, the Cubs could spend. They could have 150 million dollars of free payroll up into the luxury tax or whatever they're going to play with it. So they, you know, and they're a year closer to Brennan Davis being ready. Braylon Marquez having more seasoning. So the minor league system is coming back up. At the same time, we're going to have a boatload of money. So there's no reason to punt the 2021 season. Um, so I think they could. I mean, in theory, the Cubs could take the Schwarber money, which he's projected to get about $8 million. I've seen every projection I've seen from, for Tommy Stella is about $7 million. Boom, you saved a million there, and you diversified your hitting. Yep. So I think you could probably be almost a better team 
even though you lack Schwarber's punch with Listella, you know, only striking out 5% of the time or whatever sick number he had. It was really low. I think he was the best in baseball contact this year. Um, and he gets on base at about 350 clip, hits 285. Then left field, who do you who do you put out there? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Michael Brantley, if you, t- if you save $20 million on Bryant and spend 12 to 14 on Michael Brantley, you're still saving six million. You're saving a million off of the Schwarber Listella switch. So now you're you're netting seven million. You got about forty million coming off the books and the pitchers. Yep. So you're in, essentially cutting your payroll from 2020 significantly. Changing your offense with two players who could make your offense that much better, and you'll have enough money to get Lester back, and then still maybe go out and, uh, I don't know. There's it's probably going to be like a. No one's sexy. Don't I don't expect Stroman. I, I want Stroman badly, but I'm I'm guessing Walker. Uh, maybe they take a low risk flyer on a Archer if his velocity is still there. I think they're going to yeah. look for those types of guys, like a a mid tier starter, a guy whose ceiling is a number three but could get you 200 innings in a you know a low four ERA, high three. Yeah. Because I think our top three is going to be as good as anyone in the NL Central at least, with Bauer leaving Cincinnati. Yeah. No, and and I agree wholeheartedly with you. I I think right now, like I think of the core, and I always call the I call it the big seven right now. Um, even kind of the big six uh, in a lot of ways. Um, big seven, if you want to throw Hayward into the mix, because I know they they every year it gets floated out that somebody's interested in him. But honestly, sure, maybe he's not worth the contract in terms of statistics, but just the leadership, that Gold Glove defense in right field. I mean, we saw it once he left right field and played center when they acquired Castellanos in 2019, how badly the Cubs defense just plummeted off the face of the earth because they didn't have that. So, yeah. and, and he had a great year with the bat this year. He batted like, I think he finished at like the high 280s. And he was on pace for like a five war, which is pretty elite. Yeah. I mean, so, he, had yeah, he had a good year. Season. He had an incredible season. So, you know, maybe you get that version of him again in 2021. And, and if that's the case, then I kind of look at the big six and I, I call it, you know, the, the core four in the middle, right? So you got Bryant, Baez, Rizzo, Contreras. And then I throw Schwarber and Happ into that equation. Because I absolutely believe Happ is a part of the future. I think he, he cemented that this year. Like Definitely. He, he took the step they wanted him to. He improved. He did his time in the minors. He's up. He's up for good. He's not going anywhere. I, I agree with you. Uh, the exact two names that you started mentioning about options and things like that, those are the two I expect to be gone. I think Schwarber, just because you have too many of him in your lineup already, and he's probably the most expendable of the group. And then Bryant, from the sense of, I agree with you, I think the best move for the team is tender and then trade him. Because I look at a team like Atlanta, right? Atlanta's the team, to me, that just screams Chris Bryant trade because they have an obvious need at third base. Donaldson was there, and then he was gone, and then they had a kind of a rotation of guys at third this year. Um, And they were able to get away with it because the rest of that roster is just unbelievable. But... You know, they could use him there. And that would allow them then to put Austin Riley, who's their fancy toy, just throw him out in left field and call it a day. He doesn't need to play good defense. Just use his bat, hit 30 home runs a year, and we'll love you forever. And if Ozuna leaves, too. so Right, and, and there's a very good chance that Ozuna leaves just because I'm sure Atlanta's probably not going to want to pay him what he's going to want, um, especially because he had actually a pretty nice season down there for them with the, with the Braves. So you figure if that's the case, right, you know, to me, Atlanta's got the kind of roster where you can get, like, to me, an optimal trade package for Chris Bryant is a guy who's maybe not a household name, but he's a roster player and, like, a good roster player. So, like, to me, like an Austin Riley is actually a very good example to me because he's a guy, like, he's kind of still coming up. He's getting there. He had a lot of promise. He still has a lot of promise, but he's kind of a maybe a tweener on some teams. Of like, ah, do we start him every day or is he like a kind of a platoon guy? You know, yeah. you bring in one of those type guys just so you have that potential maybe. Because Riley has potential at third base. can also play left field. So you got some versatility there. And then you get two elite prospects. I'm, I'm, and by elite, I say, you know, at least one in probably the top six of an organization. And then one maybe in like the six to 12 range, I think is an uh, I see elite role. for for the Braves. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, elite I got for the Braves. Because yeah. the Braves have a great or- farm system i think they're like they do they do they're deep yeah they're deep so they have the capital to go for a guy like a chris bryant and then maybe you get like a bullpen pitcher you know you get a nice really strong bullpen pitcher because atlanta had a very good bullpen this year and you bring in a guy like that to help solidify the bullpen 
Like to me, that's an optimal trade, right? Because then, like you said, the money-wise, you're absolutely netting in terms of the money with Bryant. And even if you don't chase a guy like Brantley, let's say, and maybe you're content with an Ian Happ moving to left field, do you go get that prototypical center fielder to play every day from free agency? Like, obviously, I'm not saying necessarily this guy, but a Whitmerfield type player where he's like you said, high contact, going to steal bases, play good defense. You know, he'll hit his home runs and drive in his runs, but he's that's that's what he excels at. You know, he's going to hit probably close to 300, that type of guy. Or do you feel comfortable potentially, and this, again, totally hypothetical, do you feel comfortable maybe Brennan Davis coming up? Do you think he's ready? Like, that's that's a legitimate question the the organization needs to know because, you know, then like you said, you know, you go ahead and you bring in Tommy at, you know, $7, 8000000 million a year. He's your everyday second baseman. And all of a sudden you've solidified your infield to an extent. And then maybe because you don't chase Brantley, maybe all of a sudden a guy like Marcus Stroman is in play. So it, there, there's so many you know little that's, intricacies. That's a good play. If, if the move is, you know, I now you have me rethinking because, all right, let's do it this way. This is my, this is my alternate plan. You go out, all right, Bryant, I, I don't think you could get that good a package just because of how much money he's doing, the economic situation. I think you Fair. could get a couple solid prospects for him. I don't know if you could get as good as you were saying. If, the, if this wasn't the crazy year it's been, maybe. Brennan Davis, I love his makeup. High contact guy, athletic. Looks like he could uh, his elite defense. Um, he's going to develop some more power, I think, because he's only 20 years old. I think what hurts Brennan Davis's chances of playing in 2021 was the fact that there was no real minor league competition in 2020. So that's why I think I hit him more 2022. Um, maybe if he's hot, I think he'll start the year in Double A, I believe. Mm-hmm. So if he just tears up Double A in the first half and that's the now I want us to keep our flexibility open now that you got Brennan Davis in my head because the highlights I've seen of him, I'm a big fan of what he's got. Yeah. And I think they drafted him thinking like, oh, he's the makeup of Mookie and, and they know Mookie because they drafted Mookie back in the day. Um, I'm not Cubs fans, I'm not getting your hopes up that <laughs> Brennan Davis is the next Mookie got, Okay. But I'm just I'm just saying it's not I was looking at the numbers. I mean Style Brennan Davis' numbers he, in A ball yeah. were better than Mookie's numbers in A ball, so you never know what the projections might be. But all right, you start the year with Ian Happ in center field. I think he played an average center field. Nico Horner played a little outfield toward the end of the year. They had him in, in center a couple times. Mm-hmm. So now if you start, if you sign Lestella, you can move Nico Horner to left because Nico's an athlete. I think he could play. Look, I love Schwarber, but if, if Schwarber could play left at an average level, I think Nico could. And Schwarber actually did end up playing about an average left field. I think he started off so bad, people just refused to believe he got better. And, and yeah. Schwarber did get better and left. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, I do think Nico is a high-contact bat who's going to develop into – I don't th- I don't know if he's going to be an all-star level player, but I definitely could see him being like a 280 player, a guy who gets like a three-war, like a solid – like Chris Taylor. You mentioned the Dodgers. Chris yeah. Taylor. He's not an all-star, but he's a very solid major league baseball player. Still need That's those guys to win World Series. Yep. Yes. So now you have Nico, Happ, and Hayward. And then if Davis comes along, then you can move Happ over to left. Again, we're, we're assuming no DH because we don't know for sure yet. So that kind of messes up our plans. Because if the DH is still out there, you're non-tender Schwarber. Maybe he's like, I love playing here. I'll sign back for five or six million less than I would have got. Who knows? Because if he's projected eight or nine and he's not getting that out there, I don't know. Maybe I'm fantasizing a little bit. But Stella at second. Or, you know what you could get? You could get like an Adam Eaton who's going to cost you like nothing this year. Have him play yeah. left field. He's a high contact bat. Um, and if he doesn't work out, it doesn't cost you anything. Happen center. Then you could just move Eaton to the bench, move Hap to left, bring up Vernon Davis in center field for the second half. Again, this is assuming he scorches double-A pitching. I like the idea right. of keeping the offensive flexibility, then save taking the savings from a Bryant deal, getting yourself a Stroman who will need to multi-year deal because – the Mets offered him the qualifying offer of 18.5. So he's going to want, I don't think he signs for less than 20 million per, but they could make that work if you give him three or four years. Cause I just think there's going to be really low spending across baseball. We've already seen like Colton Wong didn't get his option picked up. I mean, the Rays weren't going to pick up more in any way, but there's been a few options just cause he's too expensive for Tampa. There's been a few options where you're like, really? Wow. This is going to yeah. be a crazy off. If they're not going to pick up that little of money for that good a player, there could be a strike in 2022. I don't want to even think about it. It could happen. 
So that's why you, I think you might see some guys just go, I want a one year deal for a lot of money or I'll take multiple because they're going to want to get paid, you know? Right. Yeah, I, I could absolutely see that too, right? It, because you, like you said, it, it's going to be a double-edged sword, I think, really, this offseason. You're seeing it a lot. I don't know anybody that listens to this right now or even yourself, Joe, um, are big like hockey nerds. I'm an off-season sports nerd regardless. If it's a sport that I love, which I like basketball, but I love baseball, football, and hockey. So like for me, off-season for those sports, in my, I just go – accountant nerd brain give me the numbers i'm who's going where like that just i live for that stuff and i i completely agree with you you're gonna i think you're really gonna see two types of players because you're seeing that in the nhl right now um a good example again anybody that knows hockey taylor hall is an all-star level wing he is incredible guaranteed you know 30 35 goals a year he's gonna put up anywhere from you know 65 to 100 points any given season he's an elite player in the nhl signed a one-year contract uh, with the Buffalo Sabres of all teams, which probably a lot of people are probably like, oh, Buffalo, they suck, aren't they? Yeah, they're bad. But Jack Eichel's a superstar at center, and he knows, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to go play with, with Jack. I'm going to go rack up 40 goals this year, and then I'm going to hit the free agent market and look for that big ticket next year, hopefully, once the cap and economy rebounds a little bit. So yeah, you're going you're gonna to get that double-edged sword of guys, because you're still seeing guys even in hockey signing three, four-year deals. You know, Did Taylor them, Hall come up with Edmonton? He did. He was the first overall pick. Yeah, they draft team. well, huh? They do, and then they spoil their talents, and they can't win. And it's just a, I know. What the a great one, McDavid. The great one and Messier just cursed that franchise after they left. They were like, "You guys will suck until we die." Okay, goodbye. And, Pretty much. Uh, yeah. They left. <laughs> hey, I mean, you look at that. You look at that team, right? And not to be off topic, Cubs fans, but we got passionate sports fans here. Um, you know, you figure Taylor Hall was a first round pick, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and that's just within the last like eight years. Um, like they even because everybody's probably like, well, they always draft high, and it's like, yeah, but even when you draft high, you're not guaranteed to hit on everybody. You're not. I, it's why I really now we could bring it back to the Cubs because I remember seeing a post where it's like, Theo Epstein's only hit on the high draft picks. And I wanted to be like, all right, yes, that is true. Where's Mark Appel? Tell me where Mark Appel is. Where's Mark Appel? Also, though, do we forget that the 15 years prior to Theo, we hit on Javi Baez and Mark Pryor, who didn't last long because of injury, and that was like it. Well, Kerry Wood was drafted in 1995. But the Cubs had a crazy stretch where they only had one position all-star that they drafted, position Oof. player that they drafted that made an all-star team. Yeah. And I think there was Giovanni Soto, I want to say. I'm not 100% yeah. positive. He might have been international signing either. They had a couple uh, pitching guys they drafted make an all-star team and Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor. But as far as the positional side, they went on a drought of like 10 to 15 years without one. So yeah. the fact that we hit, Theo hit on, Elmore did not hit on, of course, but Bryant, um, Schwarber, and Happ. And, and now Nico looks like. So you had four first-rounders in a row that are like, these are major league baseball players. You know, that's pretty don't like people shouldn't scoff at that because there's a lot of teams that do not hit on the first round at all. Yeah. Well, and again, like you look back to that, that what was it, 2013 draft? Um, Chris Bryant. I mean, I still remember that draft and everybody like, oh, the Cubs got to go pitcher. And I'm like, no, give me the kid that just had 30 home runs in college. I want that guy. I don't give a shit about the pitcher. So the pitcher's not going to be here for five years, potentially. Give me the yeah, kid I that's going to be too. up in, you know, two years. And I still remember it. Give me old blue eyes out in San Diego. I want yeah, that kid. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. And there was a lot of people I remember that were arguing for John Gray, who has been a very serviceable MLB pitcher. But let's be frank, he's not even close to what Chris Bryant's become. And that's even with Chris Bryant's injuries and struggles. So, you know, and you figure, especially in baseball. Baseball, is a, to me, is the one sport that even in the first round, guys are not guaranteed hits. I, he could be a first round pick overall. First overall pick, Mark Appel is a perfect example. He was a first yeah. overall pick, and he never even sniffed the major leagues. He's not even with the Astros organization anymore. I think he's in the Phillies organization now. Like, there are so many first round picks that aren't that don't pan out after X amount of years. Yeah. It's it's a lot. That's why you when you find people who draft well, and and also there are great drafters who have a bad year or two. I mean, Jason McLeod, they uh, demoted or not really demoted, but they switched titles and they said, "Hey, we're going to get a different set of eyes." Um, to be our you know head of scouting, and I saw that the Angels were going to interview him for the GM spot. I remember seeing these comments from people on Cubs Twitter being like, "Get rid of him, good riddance." I go, 
this guy was once considered the best at his job. Yeah. And they go, yeah, well, what have you done for me lately? I'm like, yeah, but it's also just just because you have a couple bad years doesn't mean you can't be good again. Right. Is my point. I'm like, I think it was the right move taking him out of that spot. But this is also a guy who drafted a lot of elite players in a row. Jason McLeod, as the head of head of drafting for a team, is the has drafted two guys. And there are only two of three players in baseball history have done this. He's directed two of them. Dustin Pedroia and Chris Bryant, guys that won Rookie of the Year and MVP in back-to-back seasons. He directed both those guys. I mean, he, he, Mookie Bats. Like, this guy yeah. knows how to find talent. Actually, no, Mookie wasn't with Boston. Or, I'm sorry, um, McLeod wasn't with Boston when Mookie was. Theo okay. was still there, but McLeod had gone to San Diego with Jed. Because mm. uh, when Jed Hoyer got hired as the GM of the yeah. Padres, McLeod followed him out to San Diego. Sorry, right. I just wanted to get that right for everyone. You never know who's listening, and they're like, "Hey, you're wrong, dickhead." You know, <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind sticklers out there. Be a, be a stickler. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I just I, I, I'm glad you brought up the drafting thing because drafting is incredibly important. But again, there's no guarantees. Pro- prospect list. There's no guarantees. No Addison guarantees. Russell was once ranked the number three prospect in all of baseball. He can't cut it in the Korean League now. A lot of that could be personal stuff that he brought on himself for being a piece of shit. But that's the truth of it. White Sox fans, in case you come across this podcast. Your guys that are great right now could be terrible in a couple years. You don't know. Yeah. That's why I always try to preach to people, enjoy the ride. Because we would have thought after 2016, all these guys were just going to get better and better and better. And sadly, a few of them peaked. I mean, Javi ended up getting better. Um, Rizzo's been consistently the same guy. Yeah. Chris, though, even Bryant, though, when he's 100% healthy, is still an all-star. Oh, absolutely. Um, Schwarber, I guess, has been the head-scratcher. Because he, second half of 2019, damn it, I thought he finally figured it out. He finished with 38 home runs, got the average up to 250. Um, I think he put up like an 870 OPS. So you're like, he, oh, he perfect. If he could be that second half guy a whole year, he's going to hit 50 home runs. And I wouldn't be surprised. I hope Schwarber signs on with like a Rockies, doesn't do us any damage, but hits like 55, turns that last year into a nice sick payday that the Yankees pay for. Because I, I love that guy as a, as a player. So I, yeah. I hope. Or I hope we bring him back. Who knows? You never know. Maybe we get rid of Brian and Schwarber and we bring him back. There's endless possibilities after this season because of so much of the payroll. Payroll is cleared. Yeah. I'm trying to. I'm saying that to remind Cubs fans to be optimistic because our best days are still ahead of us. Yeah, and this this organization. Yeah, and this organization's even in good hands. And I mean, you know, I I don't think we want to dive down the the rabbit hole too much on this tonight. But you know, like the whole Theo Epstein probably being gone after 2021 thing. They've laid a very good groundwork, though, and there's guys within this organization that are still going to be there. I am I am the one that's on the parade train to have Kantrovitz become the new GM once Theo and Jed potentially leave, um, just because for anybody that doesn't know Kantrovitz's background, he was with two elite organizations when it comes to drafting. It was the Oakland A's and the St. Louis Cardinals. Tell me those two teams do not just pump out random-ass names on every given fucking year. I'm going to drop an F-bomb because it's necessary here. Literally every single year. I mean, how many times as a Cubs fan, especially as a Cubs fan, we can talk about this. How many times do the Cardinals trot out some kid on like the third game of the season when the Cubs are playing them in like the first or second series? You've never fucking heard of and he puts up seven innings, throws an absolute gem, and then like two years later, he's their ace. It's unbelievable. It happens every single year. They bring up these no-name kids that just turn into all-stars. It makes no sense, but they do it. And you need that. And I think, you know, even if Theo and, and Jed and those guys are gone, their groundwork's still going to be here. I mean, it, you're, you talk a lot about their Boston days, right? They drafted guys like Mookie Betts. They, I, I, I think they drafted Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, they did. Xander, their last draft, Xander, Jackie Bradley Jr. was the first round pick. Mookie wasn't taken until the fifth, I believe. That was their final draft in Boston. So it's not like they left them in pretty good hands. Yeah. I've got family in Boston. And when um, there was a rumor last offseason when Boston let go of Dombrowski – that they might try to contact Theo and so many Boston fans were like, yeah, bring him back, bring him back. Cause you know, we miss him. We miss just, him. Well, there was a sour taste after that whole collapse at the end of that 2011 season. But sure. I don't know how much of that was actually on the GM that the, you know, the players just got lazy. I don't, and they screwed up. That happens. Yeah. Unfortunately, you can do everything right and still not win as yeah. we've seen good organizations do. And that yeah. happens with rebuilds too. I know a lot of fans are clamoring for another rebuild, but rebuilds are rarely successful. Yeah, I mean, look at like the Rangers had a great rebuild. They made a couple World Series, lost in both. The Detroit Tigers from like oh five to eleven were an elite team, didn't win a thing. Like that, that had, Cleveland Indians, the Mets. When we lost to the Mets in twenty fifteen, the national media 
was saying that this Mets rotation is going to have them in multiple World Series. Didn't sniff uh, NLCS since that one. Yeah. So like you just sense. you never know. And and you're right about um, I'm blanking on his name. How do you say his last name again? Dan uh, Kratchevich. Oh, Kantrovitz. Yeah. Kantrovitz. Thank you. Kantrovitz. <laughs> you know, for a guy who grew up in Chicago, you'd think I'd be able to pronounce a Polish last name without <laughs> any trouble. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I like him as the GM. I do think Jed Hoyer is going to stick around as the president. I think Jed's going to take Theo's job, but Jed likes Dan. I think Jed, it was Jed's idea to bring Dan in, although I, yeah. from what I gathered, Theo liked him too. Obviously, they they brought him in. They obviously both love him. Otherwise, you don't do that. I think he will slide into the GM role. Yeah. So I definitely think I think Dan is going to be here the, for the long term. Yeah, I hope so. I think he's fantastic. And I think, you know, ever, I agree. ever since they brought him on, just look at the amount of pitching they've been drafting. I mean, he just yeah. that just goes to show that, that their commitment to making these guys better. Right. And they obviously they have that pitch lab taking it way back to the early part of the conversation or uh, early part of the conversation. You brought up Albert Alzali and that slider. He improved that slider through the pitch lab technology that this Cubs team now has because this front office dedicated to that. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Long story short, just because 2021 is a lot of question marks doesn't mean this Cubs team is just going to fall off the face of the earth and be garbage. You know, look at the St. Louis Cardinals. For fuck's sake, this team for the last 20 years has been competitive. Like, they because they have a good drafting, you know, in place. They draft guys. They bring guys in. They'll bring in a free agent when they need to. You know, they, they did it with Jason Hayward for the one year. They obviously signed Dex to the big contract after the 2016 season with the Cubs. You know, they've, they've done it with Gold other guys. Schmidt. Goldschmidt. I remember when they did it with Matt Holliday back in the day, and he all of a sudden just lit it up for them. You know, it, that happens. You know, and you can still be a competitive team going forward. And this team, especially with the Cubs, they have the groundwork laid. You know, I mean, I think Rizzo's here for the long haul. I mean, fuck. Theo drafted him in Boston. Jed yeah. traded for him in San Diego, and then they traded back for him when they got to Chicago. Like, of course they love this guy. He was clearly one of the players they saw as a cornerstone of this franchise. Like, you're probably still going to have Rizzo around. There's a very good chance that Baez sticks around. I, I, I actually think, and this is something that's been widely discussed on probably our last eight or nine Cubs on Tap episodes about Wilson Contreras and now that his defense has come such a long way and how athletic he is as a catcher, which is very rare because he's also very new to the position. A lot of people don't remember. He only started playing the position like seven years ago. So it's not like his knees have taken a lifetime of beating playing catcher. He's going to have a couple still really good years and God forbid he needs an off day. You can play him at first or third or in the corner outfields. He's done it before. So his, I think, value becomes even more greater because Fuck. You look at how many teams have a power hitting catcher? Probably three in, in any given year. I mean, they're, they're few and far between. So, you know, there, there's a lot of good things. But, I, I, you know, like you said, I mean, I love that we've just kind of talked on all of our talking points without actually addressing each one separately. It just flowed naturally through our conversation today because, you know, this is a very crazy 2021 that's going to be coming up and a crazier 2020 offseason because. You know, like we were t- discussing, there's there's going to be guys that take one-year contracts and try and hit the big ticket and go forward. To be frank, whether you like it or not, and this is I'm going to bring this up because this is this is my guy. But Nicholas Castellanos, his 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 contract with the Reds was for four years, but technically was a one-year deal because he could opt out afterwards. He decided to stay because he knows he's not going to get 16 on this current market. That's just not yeah the nature of the beast. If it was a normal given year, the way he played this year in Cincinnati, I bet you he would have been the fuck out of there, and he would have been like, "Give me a big day payday ticket somewhere else." You know that that didn't happen. So you know you're gonna like you said, you're gonna have the guys that maybe kind of in like dare I say that he's Jose Quintana echelon that are probably gonna take one year deals and pray to God that it turns out well, and you know they get maybe five, six, seven, eight million dollars, maybe probably on the high end, and see what happens. But then on the other side. You're probably going to have guys like Bauer and Stroman and a couple of these elite free agents that are still going to get multi-year deals, but maybe they just take a hair less because they're, like you said, getting that long-term security then going forward. Um, I'm still clamoring for Marcus Stroman. I know White Sox fans are probably clamoring just as loud as I am uh, to get him on the south side. but I think the White Sox fans need to understand that the Tony La Russa hiring pretty much sealed your chances of getting Marcus Stroman. It does. It did feel that way, and uh, I don't. I we got to talk to our socks on tap buddies because uh, he was liking tweets. Marcus Stroman was liking tweets bashing the Tony Larusa hiring, 
which is enough for me to be like, well, you're not, he's not going to sign with that team. I just don't see Stroman. He's a, he's a young guy that is very outspoken, but in, in a good way, I think he's, he's like, um, you know, passionate about what he believes in and stuff yeah. like that and, and wants baseball to go in the new direction of celebrating its young stars and let's bring more fun back into the game. And he sees the Tony La Russa type guys being against that. So, which, although I'll stick up for Tony La Russa slightly, he did manage Ricky Henderson in the eighties, who was the flashiest player of all time. So I don't know how much of that is true, but La Russa has definitely put his foot in his mouth recently. And because of that, I think Stroman's not signing with the White Sox. Yeah. The Mets are going to have a lot of money to throw around, so maybe he, he signs an extension with them. Who knows? Um, I want the Cubs badly to get him. I want him more than I want Bauer. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, Stroman would be great. I definitely think I, I think we're in a transitional period in the sense that I think the Cubs are going to compete for the division all year long. That's why I don't think you're going to see them. Everyone's like, they might just bring back the same team because the trade value is low. I've heard a lot of fans say, let these guys rebuild their trade value. If, if Baez and Bryant and Schwarber have huge first halves, we're going to be in first place by 10 games. And you're not right. going to trade these three guys when you're up by 10 games. Right. I'm telling – I really believe ownership has told the front office you need to cut payroll. Um, I know we got $40 million coming off the books, but I think the payroll is going to be – they're going to aim for about the 165, 170 million range, which will be enough to compete because of the, all the one-year deals that they could probably get to, to you know diversify the lineup a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully maybe they could pull off a Stroman as like their one big pickup. Uh, but I definitely think it could still be an exciting year. And then the possibilities are open after 2022 to really, and I Contreras is a guy to extend Contreras mm-hmm. Hap, Rizzo, I think for a long time, because I think Rizzo is a guy that could age gracefully like a David Ortiz. I know people bring up his back problems, but Rizzo's, they never affect him. And, and, and he'll have it in March. He'll miss a, a week of spring training with a bad back. And everyone goes, oh, there goes his back acting up again. Yeah. And then I'm like, here's, here's his baseball card. 150 games every freaking year. Right. I was going to say. Even, even Except when, for when he blew up his foot in 2019. Right. Even then he came back early to play on it. I was going to say, even even when when Rizzo has had the back issues, through, almost every single season, what did he miss? Maybe two games and then he's back and he's fine. Like It's yeah. just he needs a maintenance day and he's back and he's as good as new. And – who knows? I mean, I don't don't recall seeing a ton of it. I know there was a little moment where there was a scare with his back, but I don't think it really ever kept him out of the lineup for more than maybe a game this year. But yeah, he lost all that weight, too. Like, that's going to only great. help your back, right? I mean, I can attest to that. I, I lost 40 pounds from my playing weight that I had been carrying many years after being done with college football. And my joints feel that much better. So I can only imagine how Anthony Rizzo feels, with it, especially with a bad back. So... Um, no, I, I agree with you, man. I, I mean, all those guys are absolutely worth extending. Um, there's just so many. It's almost fun because this year is going to be so much. There's so many more hurdles that go into this offseason that it's just going to make it that much more fun, not only to cover from like our perspective, but just as a fan to watch and see what unfolds and who goes where. Like There there might be a lot of, you know, I, I've been seeing a lot of things the last couple of days, like that there are a lot of people saying that they're, you know, even on like the NFL side, that they're saying this, like there are going to be notable cuts of guys that are getting stripped that you would never ever thought would become free agents because their teams are trying to save money because of what this pandemic did to, to every single one of these leagues could very well happen in baseball. You could see, God forbid, you know, a guy that probably in a normal off season, cause let's be frank, MLB office, MLB free agency is just like every other free agency guys get overpaid. It happens because you're trying to acquire that guy's talent. But you know, maybe a guy that historically would get a 13, 14, even as high as a 16, 17 million dollar year contract, maybe he takes a one year deal at like nine million bucks and just says, Hey, I'm gonna pray to God this works out for me and I get a long term deal next year. You know, there, there's just so many uncertainties going into this offseason with, with what's going on financially in a lot of these ball clubs. Yeah, I, you're 100% right. And it's gonna be fun to talk about all offseason too as we figure more things out. I just, you're right. The uncertainty of no fans in the ballpark as a possibility, although I'm hoping and I'm thinking as we get closer, there'll be fans might be at a lower capacity. I think you're going to see some guys, you know, taking one year deals, hoping that once capacity is back 100 percent, then they could really cash in. And as fans, we should expect that as much as I respect the Rays organization. We if, if the Cubs want to operate like the Rays. You better make bleacher tickets twelve bucks again, then, okay? Yeah. Because right now we pay the highest ticket prices in all of baseball. You want to operate like a small market team? 
fine. You better charge me small market prices, though. Yeah. And that's the reason teams like the race fall a little bit short is because they can't go out and sign the guys that we could sign to bring you over the top. So right. you got to think about that as a fan, too. But it's going to be fun off season to talk with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a pretty good time for us to start wrapping it up. So, Joe, I'll turn it quickly over to you. Always love to, to give you know everybody on the uh, on the show an opportunity for just some closing, closing thoughts. Um, so I'll turn it over to you, man. What are your closing thoughts uh, before we get out of here? Closing thoughts are basically, Cubs fans, look, uh, don't think of it as the window shutting with this core. Think of it as uh, we're, re- we're painting the finishes around the window. And um, we're not really replacing the window. We're just uh, maybe replacing the the glass or getting a new window sill or something like that because I think a new window is going to be opening up. Um, it's going to be think about that graduation song. It's hard to say goodbye because it's you're you're gonna just I want everyone to mentally prepare themselves for a couple of their favorites to leave, but it can end up making the team uh, more competitive uh, going forward because of a little bit of lineup diversification. Yeah, absolutely. I will 100% agree with that. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and quickly take the time to remind everybody that Cubs on Tap is the official Cubs podcast of the On Tap Sports Network. You can find all of our great literature and podcasting works over at www.ontapsportsnet.com and at On Tap Sportsnet on social media. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Go check out Joe's content. I'm sure we're going to be getting you up on our channel at some point too with all of your great content. Be sure to be subscribing there. And uh, we're also going to be diving into the world of TikTok here shortly. So. Um, you know, be sure to, to see what kind of crazy content we come up with over there. Um, we got all of it, ladies and gentlemen. Obviously, Cubs coverage. You're listening to some of that right now with myself and Joe. We got great Bears coverage. The Bears are still in the season. They're, they're you know what? They might be the worst 5-3 and three team ever, but hey, they're still 5-3. and three. Um, Be sure to be checking out all of our great coverage over there with those guys at Bears on tap. Uh, big offseason's coming up, not only for the Cubs and the Crosstown White Sox, obviously, but Bulls and uh, Blackhawks, you know, the kind of delayed off seasons essentially that should have been this summer are going to be happening now. Go check out bulls on tap and the four feathers podcast for all of that coverage as well. And yes, Cubs fans, we all have at least one friend that's a white Sox fan. So bring them our way as well because our socks on tap guys do an absolutely excellent job. Once again, www.ontapsportsnet.com and at ONTAP Sportsnet on social media, the ONTAP sports network, go ahead and check out what's on tap in Chicago sports. Whew. That was a fun one, man. That was a lot of good conversation. I mean, realistically. Yeah, I mean, sorry I rambled there a couple no, of times, but I was pumped to talk to you. I, I, I'm telling you what, Joe. You and I will absolutely be doing another episode because, like you said, you and I probably could sit here and do just three hours of just talking Cubs baseball. Um, and I look forward to it, and I cannot wait for it. So, sir, thank you so much for joining us for your first episode. Can't wait again, like you said, uh, to get you on for many more. Uh, especially Hell yeah, this, buddy. That was fun, Ron. Thanks, man. Yeah, especially during this crazy off season And, uh Ladies and gentlemen, we thank you so much for joining us. Please uh, like, rate, and review us, and subscribe to us wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Um, and without further ado, let's go, Cubbies. Go, Cubs, go.